for review's sake, we are reminded that the book of 1 John is written for the purpose of encouraging and developing the security of the believer. Uh, John is writing in 1 John 5, he says, these things I write unto you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know that you have eternal life. And so John's main focus is to write to believers and to encourage them in their faith, to, to give them some, some uh, solid ground to stand on when it comes to knowing whether or not they are believers. It's interesting, in addition to what John says about to know um, that they have eternal life, the very next verse says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that anything we ask of him, he will do it. So in addition to, to having um, that eternal security that John writes about, he tells us, teaches us that that eternal security produces, results in a, a confident Christian life. It, it results in a passionate, a, an active Christian life, not an inactive one. In addition to that, John also writes about uh, a warning us against false teachers who uh, seemingly, according to the book, don't even have evidence of salvation themselves. So you'll see the phrase, um, these people say this is true about them, but they don't really live in it. And John makes it clear that, that they're not even believers. And so he warns them to be careful, especially when it comes to um, following leaders in the church, be careful that you're not submitting to or following a leader who doesn't have evidence of Christ in them. In other words, it's not a preacher that just gets up there on Sunday morning and says for you to do certain things or live a certain way or teaches you what the Word of God says but doesn't actually live that out themselves. Um, the scriptures refer to those people as Pharisees and hypocrites. And Matthew 23 is pretty strong uh, against Pharisees and hypocrites. He makes a, a bold um, Rebuke in Matthew 23 against these Pharisees and hypocrites. So with that, as John unpacks, he unpacks the, um, the, the main primary source of our knowledge of our salvation is the Bible says, these things have I, or you might, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you are in him, that you keep his commandments. And so the main way that we know if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are a part of his family, is that we obey his commandments. And the primary commandment that God makes to us is the commandment to love him. Okay? And not just to love him, but to manifest that love by, by loving each other. By our love for each other is the manifestation or the visual expression of our love for God. He even says in 1 John, if you say that you love God... But whom you have not seen, but don't love your brother whom you have seen, you're, you, are a, you are a liar. Okay, so a pretty serious accusation there. 1 John 5, verse 1 through 3 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. He also says in 1 John chapter number 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him salvifically. Okay, I'm putting that word in there. In other words, the idea of knowing him means that we're saved. And by this we've come to be saved. We've come to know the Lord. If we keep his commandments... 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, ever, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God or the love for God is per- perfected, and, that, and by this we know that we are in him. In other words, when God's love is perfected in us, then and only then can we be confident that we are his children. It's not just obedience to a certain set of rules and standards that confirms that we are followers of Christ, but it is a love for God and that through that love for God, we have a love for the standards that he has set for us. And that's why he says in 1 John 5 that it's not just obedience to the rules of God, but it's that those rules are not burdensome to us. They're not difficult for us because they're based on, a, on an intimate relationship with God. So our love for God, our intimacy with God is, is affirmation of our salvation. And consequently, our lack of love for God, our lack of intimacy with God can also be confirmation of a person not being a follower of Jesus Christ, not having a, a relationship with him. Let's go to our text this morning, and we're going to read. um, We're going to begin in verse 12 and read down to verse 17. John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And let me just tell you, the word there literally means who is preeminent, who is first. When you think about being from the beginning, you think about kind of a line of things, and this is the first, the preeminent, the premier, okay? So they knew that the Lord was the preeminent one, the prominent one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What John does in verses 12 down to verse 14, you'll remember this, Love for God is, is prominent in revealing and bringing confidence as to whether or not we're followers of Jesus Christ. So what John does is he elevates these readers, okay? He takes them to this realm where, they're, where they have risen from this earth and all the things that are in this world and, and now they're kind of elevated into the point where their, their focus is entirely on Christ. You'll, you'll notice in verse 12 through 14, he, he kind of drives them up this mountain of, of God's glory and he talks about the fact that God is forgiving and, and the fact that he is their father, he is a fatherly figure, that he has um, given them victory in, in trouble and difficulty and trials. The Lord is strong and mighty. And the Lord is preeminent. He's prominent. He's first. Um, Colossians tells us that all the things that the Lord does, he is, he is from the beginning. All things were done for him and through him and by him. And, and that all of this was done that he might be the preeminent one. He might find the place of being first and prominent in our lives. 
So John takes us up that hill and he points us upwards. He's continually over and over again, uh, six times in the text, he's pointing us upward. So it's almost like you can, if you can picture in your mind when Peter's walking on the water, he, he has kind of this, this heavenly focus. And all the things that are going on around him really aren't that significant at that point because he's so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the state that John brings this group of people to. This is where he wants them to live. The Bible tells us that he wants our conversation to be where? Our conversation should always be in heaven. The Bible tells us to set our affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. The Lord wants us to live not connected to, not tied down to the things of this world, but the Lord wants us to live elevated above it so that we're always living out our love for God and manifesting that by and through our love for each other. I believe that the two commandments that God gives us to love God and to love each other are connected together. The Lord is literally saying that if you do love God, you will love each other. It's something that will be natural. So it makes sense that after John takes us to this pinnacle where we're focused on the forgiveness of God, the preeminence, we focus all our attention is on the Lord, it makes sense that John brings forth a warning. And that's what verse 15 down through 17, and really the, the rest of this chapter, we'll look at some other, other verses next week. But what John does is he warns us that there are always going to be, in, in the midst of this elevated state where we're focused on Christ and our attention is on Christ and our, our love is for him, there's always going to be certain things in our life that are pulling at us, right? Those, those things that are trying to get us to come back to, come back to the earth, to live in, in with a focus on all of the problems that we have in this life. In many ways, like Peter, when he began to notice the storm that was going on around him, he began to possibly focus in on his own abilities and think, you know what, I have no ability to do this. And he began to sink immediately in the water. There are things in our life that John warns about here in this text that are always going to be pulling on us so that we don't live above the things of this world. So that our focus and our attention is not completely on Christ, Possibly, he will allow us to be partially focused on Christ. But what he doesn't want us to do is he doesn't want us to be totally focused on Christ. Does that make sense? Remember this. If the climax, if the pinnacle of your and my eternal security is on how much we love God... Doesn't it make sense that Satan's going to attack us in the area of our loves? He's going to attack us to get us to love something else, even maybe, possibly, in addition to loving God. Okay? If that's possible, right? Is it okay to love God 50% and love other things 50%? If we love God 99% and other things 1%, how much do we really love God? The Bible tells us in the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods. The word before me literally means beside me. The idea of it is, is we should have no other gods, period. There's no conflict there. So what John does is John warns in this passage of scripture that there's going to be attacks 
for your emotions. There's going to be attacks on what you love. There's going to be attacks on your passion in life. There's going to be attacks on your pursuits in life. And the way that Satan does this is he counterfeits things. He presents to us things that are temporary, imperfect, and unsatisfying, and he makes them look eternal, perfect, and satisfying to us. John 8 and verse 44 and John 10 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that he lures us through deception. He lies to us. John 10 says he steals from us. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He lies to us and deceives us and convinces us of things that are not satisfying as being satisfying and he draws us down back to this earth setting to where we no longer see God as satisfying but we now see things as satisfying. Romans chapter number one, the scriptures tell us that they worship the creation and not the creator. They worship the creation and not the creator. So what John does is he tells us in, this, in these three verses, he tells us how we can combat this. How can we overcome the temptation? How can we overcome the, the battle that is for our love, for our passions in life? He, let's read it together again. He says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So first of all, what John says is the, the enemy is a love for the world, okay? It is a, the, the world is the, is, the, is the place in which, uh, and the material, if you will, the tools that Satan uses to, to draw us out of a love for God and to replace that with, with a love for something else, okay? The world system, the Greek word here is cosmos. It, it's used all throughout scripture and there are a number of different meanings that it has. Um, the Bible talks about the world in relation to everybody who is here. The scriptures talk about the world in relation to the lost it talks about the world in relation to believers, the elect. Um, and then it talks about the world in relation to a system. Okay, kind of a, kind of a, a way of life. A, a pattern by which we function. We can think of it from a political system. We have a political system that's very worldly. It's not based upon what God's word says, but based upon what the world accepts. We have an educational system that is very worldly, okay? We have a lot of systems in our world today that are focused on the world. We have an economic system that is also very worldly. And so we, we're, we're challenged to keep our attention, keep our focus on the things of God while there are so many systems that the devil has his hands in, right? There's so many systems that the devil has his hands in and he's constantly drawing us and dragging us into those systems. And you think, you know, but Pastor John, are those systems really that bad? And it's true. There are some systems in the world today that aren't really that bad. There are some things in the world today that from a, from a natural perspective, they really aren't on, at the forefront that bad of a system. 
But the problem isn't how bad the system is. The problem is, is that those systems draw us out of a loving relationship with. You see, what happens is we begin to trust systems, don't we? We begin to depend on systems. We begin to find our passion in programs and, and things of this nature. And, and although those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, that they're drawing us away from an intimate relationship and walk and dependence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The song that we sing, All I Have is Christ. The question is, is that really true? And, and from, a, from a human perspective, we would have to be really honest and say that's not true because I have this system and this system and this program and this program. So I have Christ plus all this other stuff. You'll remember in Matthew 19, the story of the rich man, right? The rich young ruler who had everything. And he said, you know what, Lord? I, I'm more than happy to add you to my program, I'm more than happy to add you to my righteousness. I'm more than happy to add you to my riches and my wealth, but I, but I refuse to, be, to make you the only object of my life. And Jesus says to him, hey, if you want to be my disciple, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And what Jesus was not saying to him is that salvation does not come by selling all that you have and giving it to the poor, does it? But listen to me, folks. God will never be second God will never be second. For the rich man, it, for the rich young ruler, it was his money and his own self-righteousness that stood in the way of his relationship with the Lord. For you, it might be something else. For me, it might be something completely different. There might be some other bondage in my life that's pulling at me, that's causing me to love the creation more than the creator. What's amazing about it is, is the devil never creates anything, does he? Here's what the devil does. The devil takes what God created, get this, the devil creates, takes what God created and makes you love it. That's it. That's how he wins. He cannot make anything. He cannot create anything on his own. He just simply takes something that God made, such as the tree that sits in the middle of the garden, right? And he gets us to fall in love with it. And once he does that, he wins because we're in love with something other than God, right? Listen to these verses when we think about the world and its system. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, in which we also walked following the course of this world, again, the pattern of this world, the system, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. This world's systems, this, this world's system, the programs of this world, they are controlled and under the power and sway of the devil. There's no other way of looking at it. Yes, God is sovereign, and for a season, God has allowed Satan, has, let me say it this way, God has delegated authority to Satan. He's allowed him to have power in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 says that he, that the devil deceives those who walk in darkness. 1 John 5 and verse 19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in power of the evil one. 
Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world's system, it's evil at its core. We have to be careful that we don't allow the world's system to rob us of our love for God. We have to be careful that we don't allow the world's system to rob us of our dependence on God. You see, this isn't written to lost people. This is written to believers. It's written to a group of people whom John is trying to reassure, trying to reconfirm them in their walk with the Lord, trying to refocus them on, on the forgiveness of Christ, on the power of Christ. And the reason John has to do this is because their attention has become very worldly and very earthly. And if you've ever been through, and I know that, that you have, and I have too, if you've ever been through a great deal of difficulty, you're likely to start focusing earthly, aren't you? You're likely to start focusing on the things of the world and taking your attention off the things of God. Peter, another good example of that, you know, the same guy that preached Pentecost, denied the Lord three times. This world system John warns them, if you're going to love God, if you're going to continue to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to have to, you're going to have to stay free from the love for this world. John, James 1 verse 13 through 15 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I have been tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil for he himself tempt no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. These desires, when they are conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, the scriptures talk about a man named Demas who worked as a, with the disciples, who ministered with the disciples. The Bible says about Demas that he fell in love with the what? What did he fall in love with? fell in love with the world. And when he fell in love with the world, he cannot. Matthew 6 says man cannot serve two masters, right? So when he fell in love with the world, he had to choose. And the Bible says that Demas forsook them. He walked away from everything that mattered, didn't he? So that he could have things that don't matter. And it all comes from the deception that the devil places in our world. He places deception on us to get us to see things as valuable that are not valuable. And you know what the devil never tells you? The, dev the devil never tells you the valuable things that you will be losing by taking the unvaluable things as your treasure. You see, a lot of our, even our young people, I think of the teenagers that we have in here this morning, a lot of our young people are taught that they can have the treasures of this world, they can have the worldly pursuits and the worldly systems and still have Christ. This is a, this is a heresy. You cannot have both. The Bible even says in Matthew 6 that you will love one and just be friends with the other one. Is that in your version? You will love one and you will kind of dislike the other one. What does the Bible tell us? That you will love one, you will hate the other one. You see, the deception that the, the devil has brought into our world is that we can have both. But what the devil is deceiving us in the, into, into trusting and into adopting is a system that believes that you can have both, but really you don't have both, do you? 
If I love the world, I do not love God. And this is what's going to cause good Christian people to flounder in their Christian life because they're not even sure if they love God. They're not even sure if they know God because their love for God has lessened. Number two, why is the world a powerful tool? What does the devil use? He uses the world. He uses the world system, the deceptions of this world to lure us. It's like, um, if you've ever been to, I've never been to Las Vegas, so I'm really, I'm speaking somewhat ignorantly, basically from what I've studied and seen on television. But they put, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty exciting place, right? You know, the lights and all of the glamour, is that, is, am, I, am I off track there for, for you who have been there? Okay. They try to make it look glamorous, don't they? And they don't tell you all of the th- negative stuff that's going on. They, don't, they try to hide all that stuff, right? I remember a couple of years ago, we took our kids down to the Walk of Fame in L.A., the, the stars and everything, right? So we're in this big section, all these cool people, you know, and they're, you know, all their costumes, and you might be able to see a star there at some point or whatever, a, a worldly star. And, um, and I remember we walked two blocks too far, Right? You know what happens when you walk two blocks too far. But I told, I told my wife, I said, my wife was just frantic. She's like, let's get out of here, honey. And uh, I told her, I was like, you know what? I'm glad that we walked too far. I said, I, our kids needed to see what this really is all about. Because the world paints such a, a beautiful picture. Hollywood paints a picture. The television entertainment industry paints a picture about this world system that is simply not True, is it? I, I, I heard a preacher once say this. He said this, the greatest danger from our, from our entertainment system is not the pornography, it's not the drugs, it's not the cussing, it's not the, it's not the um, uh, violence. Here's what he said. He said, the number one problem with our entertainment system is this. It paints a picture of life without God as being okay. True, isn't it? Even the cleanest of television shows that you watch on television. No cussing, no immodesty. It's hard to find those, but, right? But even the best of shows that come from our world systems teach us that problems can be solved through anything other than God. And it drags us into that belief. And it causes us to love those things and not to love God. Let me tell you number two, why is the world so powerful? He tells us three reasons. Basically, it's because of our desires. We talked about James 1. The, desire, the Bible says that, um, that when our desires conceive... They bring forth sin, and when sin ultimately is finished, it brings forth death. There are three basic desires that we have ingrained in our humanity, and they are the same desires that Eve struggled with in the garden. Jesus Christ was tempted with them in the Gospels when Satan came to him in the wilderness and tempted him three times, and it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three basic roots for all of our problems. Okay? Basically, you can lump all sins back to these three groups. 
Okay, very quickly. The lust of the flesh is simply this. When what we need becomes an idol. Okay, when what we need becomes an idol. This can be um, physical or sexual. This can be in, in regards to food. When, when food becomes an idol to somebody, it fits into this category. This is a, a natural need, a God-given need that God has given us where it becomes an object of worship. And the Bible even says that uh, in one text, I believe it's, um, let's see here. Philippians chapter number three, the Lord calls their belly as being their God their appetite. Remember what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but get this, I will be brought under the power of none. In other words, Paul says this, I will never be dominated by things. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number nine that he had to, beat his body into submission to get there. This is the battle that we have. The the desires of our heart becoming objects of worship, replacing God as the object of our worship. Number two, the lust of the eyes. These are the things that we see, the things that we look at, the... the, um, And again, these two can can somewhat go together, but, but, but sometimes they don't. Um, David looked at Bathsheba, and it became sin. He looked, and he desired, and, and when he desired, he decided to satisfy his desire. Eve looked at the fruit. Samson looked at Delilah. In each one of these cases, they were desiring something with their eyes. Their eyes are the portal to their soul. David said, I will not set any wicked thing before my eyes. What David understood was this, is that what we let go into our eyes ultimately is going to impact our walk in our life. We must be very, very careful because our eyes motivate our passions. Where should our eyes be? It should be on Christ, right? I mean, think about what Psalm 1 says. We read this morning that we meditate day and night on the word of God, Right? So our focus should be on Christ. What the, Lord, what the devil does is he gets us to see our flesh, our stomach, as being more desirable than Christ. How hard is it to fast, right? How hard is it to fast? Why did the Lord call us to fast? So that our bellies would never become our, our God's. You see, the battle is, is the devil wants us to love something in addition to or rather than Jesus. And our world systems is really good at going. I, 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 honestly, I've been on diets before. You've been on diets before too. I hope some of you have been on a diet before like me. All right. I cannot watch TV and be on a diet. Every commercial is like Burger King and I'm like, I can't handle it. You think the world doesn't know? You guys, do we think that that's somehow an accident? And then pornography and the way that they advertise things around, how they, how they, 
present them in such a way where that your eyes are thinking, you know what? If that's what it's like, I want it. Right? And when your desire conceives, it brings forth lust. And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The last one is the pride of life. Things that we think we deserve become idols. Things that we think we deserve become idols. Things that we think will make us better. In the garden, Satan said to Eve, hey, this fruit will make you wise. She said, I'll take that fruit. It'll make me wise. The devil tempted the Lord in the, in the wilderness and he said, hey, let's go up on this pinnacle, pinnacle, cast yourself off and show the world how great God is. Right? And the Lord says, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna step out in pride, in arrogance, in self, in self focus or promotion. The Lord handles those things. The pride of life. These are the things that we think we deserve. We live in a culture in America that says we deserve everything. It's your right. Again, you can't watch too many shows on television that don't promote in some way the fact that we have our rights. So with that, we lose a lot of humility and we lose a lot of unity. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you'll join me in your Bibles over in Romans chapter number one, I want to close with this text. Romans chapter number one. Remember this this morning. Remember this. The battle is for your passion. The battle is for your love. The battle is for your pursuits. The battle is for your heart. And, and God, in, in, devil, in the devil's economy, if God is, is, is equal to or partnering with something else that, that, that is um, consuming you, that is your idol then the devil wins. It doesn't matter what it is. Listen to me, folks. We're, we're a generation where our commitments are to everything except God. Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to be my disciple, you have to, and I'm going to say this to you, this is very important, and we'll, we'll look at it more in detail next week, but Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to hate your father, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters, and your own life also. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to love God so much that your love for other things looks like hatred. Can we say that we love God that much? The Bible tells us in Romans 1, and I close with this. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. Go back, to, go back a few verses, verse 21. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, things resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And you can read on and God gives them over to their depravity. And this is where we are as a culture. And we need to be a people. Listen, we need to be a people. Grace Bible Church needs to be a people that says, you know something? We're not going to just go with the flow. We're not going to just be like others. We're not going to just be okay. We are going to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are going to love him with everything that we are. We are going to be a light in a very, very dark world. Amen? Are you guys ready for that? Are you ready to shine forth in Hollister, California in such a way that this town has never seen? You say, Pastor John, that's impossible. I hope it's not impossible. I think by God's grace, we can do it. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the warning that we have for this battle that we're facing um, over our passions, over our loves. And the devil is constantly pulling us back to this world to love things, to love anything other than or in addition to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us strong, make us focused, elevate us beyond the things of this world so that we might walk fully in your grace. Be thankful for all that you have done. We pray your blessing upon this, your word, and the remainder of our day. In Christ's name, amen.